tomorrow's Labor Day, and it's a federal holiday in case you are getting ready to go to work. Don't. Uh, It's a day that we pay tribute to people who labor and people who work, which is a lot of people. Our employment rights are very complicated to some. They're governed by local laws, sometimes municipal laws, and state laws, and of course, federal laws, and they can be really misunderstood. And I think a lot of people don't understand what rights they have and what rights they don't have in the workplace. But fear not, because we have one of the most prominent um, labor attorneys in the city here with us in studio. Patrick Dolan is co-founder and name partner of Siegel and Dolan. Um, for over two decades, he's practiced employment-related law for executives and companies. He drafts employment agreements. He uh, discusses and drafts non-competes and advises litigants regarding harassment, discrimination, whistleblower law, and all of those things. Welcome so much. Uh, so Thank you so much for coming here and, and spending part of your uh, otherwise barbecuing Labor Day weekend. Thanks, Karen. Good to be here. So let's talk a little bit about, let's start with the hiring process. What are some of the questions that an employer should not ask you? And if they do, you would maybe have, you know, maybe just have a little heads up that this is not appropriate. Um, You know, generally anything that's unrelated uh, to the duties of the position should not be uh, asked by an employer. Uh, Essentially, the, the question should consider whether the employee Um, is able to perform the essential functions of the job um, with or without a reasonable accommodation because there are certain things that the ADA will protect an employee applicant for. But the the gist of the discussion between a, a potential employer and an employee should be, can you do the job? Let's focus on the job duties. Um, questions such as, you know, uh, marital status, how many kids you have, where you live. Um, there are so many questions that are not related to that analysis. Um, those are impermissible questions. So I would say, you know, lay out what the job duties are, if you're an employer, potential employer, and say, can you do those? If you can, do you need an accommodation to do those? And, you know, it's, I think about all the years, uh, uh, now I'm an employer myself, but I mean, I was asked all those questions. I know. Are you, are you married? Are you, are you thinking about having children? I was asked that question over and over again. You know what? And questions are still asked. They're so impermissible and shocked they're asked. Yeah. It's, um, but that happens all the time. But, but you know, it's, it's actually quite limited what that discussion should be about, but oftentimes it's simply not. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk a little bit about an employment contract. Most people don't have an employment contract, yeah, right? Yeah. And and so can you tell us what it means to have an employment contract and what the words employee at will really means? Yeah, so an employee at will means that you can be fired for any reason or no reason, and it's not for a specified term. That's what it means. People think employee at will means I can be fired for you know any reason. Well, that's not the case. If the employer cannot discriminate against you, they cannot violate the terms of a contract in, determ- in determining you. Um, so the the purpose of an employment offer letter or an employment agreement is to outline the terms of the job, which are really important. You know, you want to agree upon, in writing preferably, um, the salary, the benefits, what this person is going to do, where are they going to do it, um, what do they need to do their job, and also... Um, what may happen in the event that the person is terminated? Do I get severance? Do I not get severance? What are the benefits I have when I leave? Do I get covered for health insurance? Do I have to pay for my own COBRA? There's so many reasons why an offer letter or an employment agreement are really, really good to have in writing so that there's no misunderstandings down the road. So when 
things change. You can point to – this was my understanding of the job. This is my understanding about what I, what I got, what I get for working here. And um, it really avoids uncomfortable, um, sometimes um, completely impermissible conversations – down the road. And, you know, I, it, that's a really good point that, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to be at odds with someone, so I don't need a contract. That's exactly when you need a contract. A contract yeah. to me, whether it's in an employment realm or a loan, if you're borrowing money from your uncle, you need to know what the terms are because when you're amicable and you're starting something, you should be on the same page. So there's no resentment. I hear so many people, I get listeners here, uh, Patrick, who call me and they go, you know, the boss promised me that I could do this. And like, was it in writing? No, I mean, maybe he forgot. And so so having those things ironed out just keeps everyone on the same track. Yeah, and, it's, and it, that's a really good point because everybody, listen, people are real excited at, at the beginning. They're happy. Right. It's a new job, new company. People are on the same page. But you know what? Employment ends for just about everybody. No one stays at their job till they die by and large. And so what happens when it ends? And then also during the employment relationship, what about a bonus? What about commissions? What about, you know, changes in salary? All that kind of stuff. If you don't have something in writing that you can point to, and I get this question all the time, just like you. People are like, well, they promised me X. They promised me Y. Well, what did you agree on? Well, there's nothing in writing. There may be an email. I think you mentioned during a conversation. I said that's really difficult to deal with. So if people deal with those things up front in writing, it makes it so much easier to enforce those down the road and determine what's going to happen when the employment relationship ends. That's critical. That people don't really think about. But you know what? Your job is probably going to end, and you're going to go to another job. So what happens when it ends? And it, it, yeah, it, and then that makes it easier for you to make determinations as to whether you leave or, you know, or and, and I guess what I talk to about the employer's right to change the terms of their employment. So, you know, we've seen all these different things happen during COVID. The whole workplace has changed drastically and people, listeners call and say, this is what the rules were before. And can they just change the terms? And can they lower my salary? Can they give me less money because I'm working remotely, whereas certain people in the workplace are coming to the office and they're paying them more? How do you advise uh, employees about what their rights are when it comes to changing terms? Yeah. So generally speaking, Terms can change. However, they're 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 huge. Um, what if? So, it can't affect one group or a person based on a protected status more than somebody else. Okay, you can't penalize someone uh, by lowering their compensation um, based on some sort of protected category, whether it be their gender, uh, race, religion. There's so many protected categories. Um, but generally speaking, someone's salary can be changed and it can be lowered but if you have an offer letter that has good language in it or a detailed employment agreement then it's much harder for an employer to do that without ramifications you can point to that and say listen you promised me x and you know i certainly didn't expect to be paid y and you know um i you know i want my salary returned uh and then the question is it's just it's a negotiation but you need to have something to base it on. So can they change them? Yes, but there's a whole bunch of conditions that may prevent an employer from doing that legally. 
And, you know, a couple things that I, I, people use the term fair and people use the term discriminate. And discrimination in the world of, of your law has specific meaning, meaning you can't, I can discriminate. There's two white gentlemen who work for me. I can discriminate against one by paying him less because he's got a few less years of experience. If that, that's not discrimination under the law. Discrimination, what you're talking about, as you said, is a protected class. I'm going to treat her differently because she's pregnant. I'm going to treat him differently because you know he has he's a he's in the military or he was in the military those are the things you can't discriminate but you can treat people differently yeah and people i get that question all the time and if listen employers have a lot of discretion to terminate someone the question is are they doing it illegally and there's there are lots of protected classes and you have to analyze why is that person terminated? Why are they being terminated? Okay, they say it's because you didn't perform your job well. Did they tell you about that? Do they have other people who are also not performing their job well, and they're white, and you're African American, or you're over 40, or you um, are gay, or something like that? So there's lots of ways that you can look at issues like that and see whether the company acted legally. But people get that confused all the time. It has to be based on a protected category for it to be illegal discrimination under state or federal law. I always say if he's an equal opportunity jerk boss, then you don't have the lawsuit that That you think you might have. It does happen a lot. (laughs) If you have any questions here for Patrick Dolan, uh, please give us a call here at 312-981-7200. We'll hopefully get to all of them. You're listening to WGN. We're going to talk about overtime in a little bit, but we're talking here right now to one of the premier employment law attorneys in the city of Chicago, Patrick Dolan. He is with Siegel and Dolan, and he's got 20 years of experience representing employees and employers in all kinds of matters relating to the workplace. And we're taking your legal calls here. If you have a question for Patrick, feel free to give us a call, 312-981-7200. Tom has a really good question. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I need to shut the radio off. Hang on one second. Okay. Yeah, shut that radio off, but then turn it on when you're done. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. WG and the center for a long time. Uh, Retired. Haven't uh, had a full-time job in years. Been offered 1099 jobs. What are the pros against the cons of being a 1099 worker as of 2022? All right, Tom. So one of the um, real downsides to be a consultant or um, working under a 1099 is that you're not going to get any benefits. Um, and you're responsible for your own taxes, um, even the even the uh, some of the employer, quote, employer portion of the taxes. Um, so if uh, and there's also a risk that the employer-employee um, relationship really should be construed as an, as an employer-employee, as a W-2. So taxes are taken out. So you're entitled to wages. Um, and the IRS um, can be really concerned about that relationship. There's a lot of litigation about misclassification. When folks um, were working as 1099s, should have been W-2, and that just really changes the whole relationship. So I think the bottom line is, if you're comfortable paying your own taxes, being responsible for that, um, and you have benefits um, from another source, um, then I think it might work for you. But you have to be really cognizant that you're going to get nothing. You're not going to get vacation. You're not going to get any of the regular perks or benefits that an employee would get um, under a regular W-2 relationship. Does that answer your question, Tom? 
Yes. Thank All you right. Very much. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let's uh, let's go to um, Matt. Hi, Matt. Welcome to WGN. You have a question uh, about being terminated from a job. Yes. Hi. Thank Hi. you for taking my call. Um, I just have a question about when I got uh, I got injured at work and I had surgery and the surgery failed and uh, they said, well, you know, we don't we don't have any position for you. And they said, even if you get better later on, this happened you know, a few years ago, we don't want you to come back ever. And I was just wondering why somebody would say that. I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, because if you're qualified for the job after you recover from that surgery, then, uh, frankly, it sounds like retaliation. Maybe I'm, I'm not sure if you filed a yeah. workers' comp claim or... Uh, yeah, I had workers' comp, and yeah. I had surgery, yeah. and it, yeah. you know, it, was, it was a huge thing, but I had worked there for 25 years. Yeah, no, oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I wow. get it. And, and, that, and that is disconcerting, and it, it may be illegal retaliation, remember... There's some retaliation that's technically not illegal, but if you're qualified for the job, you should be able to pursue the job, and um, and they should consider you as a as an applicant. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I never got better, so you know, I'm perfectly fine that you know I never went back to work because I enjoy my life now way better than before. But I was just always curious why somebody would say that. Is is like, man, after 25 years, you're that mean. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. you know what? You, I always heard uh, Ralph Nader, the great uh, consumer advocate, said, you know, corporations do not have a conscience. And people yeah. do, but corporations do not. And and you got to remember that. But uh, I will thank you for your 25 years of service. I don't care where you worked or what you did, but thank you for uh, being a good employee. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. And, thanks for your- and you enjoy it. Okay, all right, and you enjoy your your retirement. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, overtime. I get a lot of questions, Patrick, about overtime, and my boss isn't paying me overtime, or my boss isn't paying me on time. Um, you know, without hiring a lawyer, you you know, when you're in these jobs and they're not paying you, it's really hard to go out and pay thousands of dollars to hire a lawyer. What would you? tell people to do to try to work it out and then if it doesn't work out where would you go for legal recourse yeah so if you're not paid what you think you're owed um for whatever reason um i would start by making a written complaint to your boss and to human resources if there's an hr rep that's responsible for where you are what you're doing it's important to make that complaint in writing because down the road if there are any actions taken against you, you want a record for a retaliation claim. So I suggest, um, and you don't need a hire lawyer to do this, you should assert, and you know, you don't have to, there's no special words. You're not, you're not being paid fairly. You're not being paid overtime or pursuant to your contract or whatever that you weren't paid your bonus like you should be or your commission like you should be. Whatever it is, put that complaint in writing, submit it to your boss in HR, if they don't remedy the situation to your satisfaction, you can come to a lawyer who may take your case on a contingency fee because their attorney's fees are recoverable for any kind of wage claim. Or on your own, you can file a wage claim with the Department of Labor um, under the Illinois Wage Payment and Collection Act, which there are certain penalties that you could recover. Um, again, you could, you're, if you hire an attorney, there's attorney's fees that could be uh, recovered in that situation. But I suggest making a written complaint and then seeing what they do. If they don't satisfy, 
you can file a claim with Department of Labor, you can file your own lawsuit, or you can hire a lawyer. And a couple of things, I'm just picking apart what you're saying. The email, is email is okay for writing when you're saying in writing? It is, Okay. So, because a lot of people ask me, does it have to be a piece of paper? No, No can email. But I always do tell people to make sure it's an email address that's not going to be taken away from you. So maybe a company email address is maybe not the best way to do it because you want a record of it, right? You do. And the other thing you can do, if you're still employed, you can maybe forward that to your personal email address because it's Ah, a complaint of wrongdoing. So I suggest that you use your company email, but I understand, listen, emails are funny when things go south. Sometimes they don't, they're not there anymore. And so for your own record, I I suggest sending it to uh, either a lawyer or your own personal email address, print it out and keep it safe. One of the other things too, and this is more to me, um, common sense advice, Patrick, and I'm sure you give this advice to your clients, is that, you know, when you work somewhere, it's a relationship. It's it's like a family relationship. There's give and take, people get mad, there's happy times, there's flexibility. Um, and I always tell people, if you want flexibility in your job, you got to give a little bit. And, you know, sometimes the boss needs a little more, sometimes you might need some time off. And when it comes to these issues, there are some bosses who don't know the law. I mean, you know, if there's a big company and it's an HR, of course, these people are, you know, they have degrees in, in the laws. But if, if you're working for a small uh, solo guy who may be in a small restaurant, he may not know what the laws are. So go Google the law. Say, listen, you're not paying me overtime. You're, I'm working 10 hours today. You owe me this. I just want to show you. Can you start paying me? And, and so sometimes you can work those things out without taking it to the next level, which might get you fired even if it's illegal for the boss to fire you. Yeah, it is contentious. And, yes. and, and, um, and it's very worrisome. You're afraid of being fired. You're right. afraid of being demoted. You're trying to have your job changed in some, in some significant way. But this is, this is what I would say. It, I think if you stick to the facts, and it's in an email that's less confrontational maybe, then say, listen, it's my understanding that I should have been paid X. I'm not being paid X. Um, you know, uh, just keep it keep it to the facts and keep it sort of direct and then say, I welcome a conversation with you to discuss it to your point. You know, listen, I assume you want to keep your job and I assume they want you to stay there. So talk to them and try to work it out. But I think you need a record, but there's ways that can, you can do it that it's not as, you know, acrimonious. It's like going to your boss and saying, you didn't pay me, blah, blah, blah. That's not what you want to do. No, take it like take a deep breath and yes. do that count to 10 thing. Because by the time that you finally feel enough to do that, you're probably angry, yeah. you know, but you should not deal with the boss that way because... You don't want to lose your job before you have another one. And I always tell people, you know, if you've got a bad boss, then the first thing you should start doing is get that resume together. Keep your job. Do what you need to do to pay, you know, feed your family. But in the long run, uh, you don't want to be losing that job. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about labor law with Patrick uh, Dolan, who's with Siegel and Dolan here in Chicago. What's the contact number? Can you give it out just for, for sure, me? Sure. 312-651-4851. And we'll be taking your calls. Uh, I've got Kathy and Ellen on the line. 312-981-7200 on WGN. We're here with Patrick Dolan. He is with Siegel and Dolan. Uh, one of the best firms in the city when it comes to employment law. We're taking your calls here, 312-981-7200. We're going to be talking a little bit about whistleblower law and and restrictive covenants or non-compete clauses, which a lot of people think are not enforceable, and maybe they are. So let's go to the phone lines and talk to Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to WGN. Thank you for holding. 
Hi. Hi. Um, I I have a, a further question about uh, the 1099s when you're retired. Um, I understand that the tax ramifications are that I pay like the employer portion, portion of the Medicare Social Security also. So it's like a double whammy. But is there another uh, like... Uh, do I become then self-employed and there's an additional charge when I do my taxes? Because I thought that happened to me once before. Um, not that I know of, Kathy. I mean, I think, you know, maybe that's a, a it's clearly a question for your tax advisor, but I mean, uh, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, 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 the reason I ask is I, I do my own taxes on TurboTax. And I had uh, a position and uh, to accommodate, I left, and to accommodate the old people, the, my old employer, I said I would come over three days a week until they hired somebody. They paid me on a 1099. And I thought I remembered, this is a while ago, that when I did the TurboTax, I got slammed with another additional kind of charge like three hundred dollars because i was self yeah this you know this is a little bit complicated for kind of our purposes here and it's hard for us to give specific advice on that but i guess i'd like to say that it's one of those things that that's why a 1099 is more more complicated it's just so much easier to be paid where they take out the taxes you know what you're dealing with and it it just seems preferable to me yeah it's it's just really burdensome on an individual to be 1099 you really have to know what you're doing right and you don't want to not pay your taxes and a lot of people you know don't have the discipline to set aside the money to pay them i mean it's hard to do that Mm -hmm. and to set aside uh, especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck which a lot of us are let's go to ellen uh welcome to wgn hi hi how are you good thanks for taking my call um i was a victim of a mass layoff last year in november And I looked it up, and everything that I read said that if I was not doing any work for them, I should file for unemployment immediately, which is what I did. Um, They paid me through January, however, and I got my W-2s from unemployment and from my company. I filed my uh, tax return right away, and then after I filed my tax return, I found out that I was not eligible for some of the money that I was paid in unemployment, so I had to pay it back which I had luckily had it saved, and I did pay it back. But I'm wondering about how that, since I paid tax, I counted that as income last year and paid taxes on it, what happens next year? Am I going to get anything that's going to, where I I get some credit for the money that I paid back? Yeah, you know, this is another one of those complicated situations where I'm not sure that we can, I mean, Patrick, can you just stress this generally? Like, if you have a situation where unemployment says to you, you know, you weren't entitled because you got some severance pay or something, and maybe you were double dipping a little bit, not intentionally, but that's what happened. Do you pay it back? Do you fight it? What What should you do? Well, I'm going to put you on hold, Alan. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are certain circumstances where severance monies can disqualify someone for unemployment compensation, but that's generally not the case. So there's a little bit of analysis that has to you have to go through to see: do is it impermissible for me to get unemployment insurance while I'm getting separation pay or severance pay? Um, so I'm not really sure of the circumstances yes. from that caller, right, but right. it's not. It's it's not certain either way, um, frankly, without knowing more about what's going on. And that's why sometimes we can't answer the questions definitively on the show, because you would need to look at the documents, you'd need to get some background information, and, for sure. and sometimes it's too narrow an issue for everyone to really get. You know, um, 
we were talking, Patrick, uh, off the air about restrictive covenants or non-compete clauses. Can you tell our listeners what they are and what do most people not know about these things? Yeah, so restrictive covenants, is a, it's a general term that encompasses non-competes and non-solicits. Generally, a non-compete prohibits you from working for an employer doing the same or similar duties within a specific amount of time, one year, two years, whatever it may be. I think most people are under the misimpression that they're unenforceable. As a matter of fact, properly written and applied to a circumstance where someone does go to a competitor doing the same thing, and sort of all the things align, it is enforceable in Illinois and many other states. The analysis is, under what circumstances will it be enforceable? So I think I get, I get that question all the time. I thought this is unenforceable. I go, not on it, not necessarily. Don't assume it's unenforceable and just go work for a competitor because you think nothing can happen. And the downside of ignoring it is you could go to your next employer. Your old employer could send a cease and desist because they claim that you violated a non-compete. The new employer, who you may have not talked to about all these circumstances, may not be happy and could, in fact, fire you for violating, allegedly violating a non-compete. So the best rule of thumb is seek advice about whether it's enforceable and talk to your next employer about that issue. It could be an uncomfortable conversation, but it's far worse if you simply ignore it. So so you, you, you get this great job and you're going to be selling widgets and you're all excited and then at the last minute they put in front of you this non-compete that says that you can't contact their customers, you can't, practice, you can't sell widgets uh, in the 50-mile radius for the period of two years. And you just think, okay, I, what do I do now? I mean, do you hire a lawyer to look at it? You probably do, don't you? Yeah, well, you, you should if you want to know definitively whether it's enforceable. The problem, though, is you don't really know if it is for certain until you know your next job and where you're going to go. Because the devil's in the details with regard to restrictive covenants and non-competes. You need to know if the company is actually a competitor, if what you're doing is actually competitive, you know, all those things. So I can look at it um, initially and say, just on its face, it's unenforceable. But a lot of times, those non-compete clauses are enforceable on their face. It's just how is it applied? That's the issue. Interesting. Yes, that's a, that's a really good topic. We are taking your legal questions here. Now I'm going to open up the phone lines for any topic you have. Uh, if you have a labor employment issue, feel free to call in and uh, Patrick will be happy to address that issue. Or if it's something about criminal law or divorce law, contract, anything that uh, you have in your head, you want to give me a call, try to weigh in on it. And the number here is 312-981-7200. And Patrick, how do people get in touch with you if they have an employment law issue? Well, they can find us um, at uh, at our website um, or uh, my address at pdolan at mseagullaw.com. If you just search Patrick Dolan at Siegel and Dolan Limited, you'll, you'll get that contact information. And you can always go on the WGN website and look at the podcast of today's uh, show, and you'll have his name and you'll have the law firm name, so that'll make it easy for you. We'll be back in a minute. In honor of Labor Day, we're talking about employment law. Everyone's got an issue, a question, uh, give us a call here, 312-981-7200, or text to that same number. And also, if you have another um, topic, too, any legal topic, uh, I'll try to weigh in. Between Patrick Dolan and Karen Conti, we will try to get it all figured out. Uh, a couple interesting texts. We have um, a partner in my firm was working in the office over the weekend. When I came in on Monday, I saw 
All of my Frame family photographs had mustaches and markings drawn in them with black Sharpie. Whoever did that out there, are you listening? Because if you're listening, why would you do something like that? Including my daughter's kindergarten picture. He had also done this to a personal assistant's photographs. The partner came out and said, isn't that hysterical? I wasn't laughing. It actually brought tears to my eyes. Is this desecration of property? HR said he's hard to handle. Patrick, what would you do and what is this? Uh, how do you even address something like this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad the person complained to HR and, and hard to handle maybe just the beginning of, of the issues for this guy. So, you know, who, who knows what else he's done? Obviously, it, she didn't, it wasn't funny. She didn't find it funny. Um, she did the right thing by complaining. Hopefully, HR goes to the boss and says, listen, you know, this is desecration of property. It's not funny. Um, but I, I bet there's more to it with this guy. And the issue, though, is when does bullying and, you know, sort of those practical, quote-unquote, practical jokes cross the line to illegal behavior, whether it be a hostile work environment, harassment based on some sort of protected category. Those are difficult issues, but they all start with the employee complaining to HR about the behavior and let them because they have to investigate what that issue is. You know, I've seen this so many times over the years, Patrick, where it always seems to be that the bad person is always the one who's the biggest producer, the biggest salesperson, the most successful lawyer bringing in all the business. And for some reason, that person seems to think that he, she can do whatever they want. And and then you have the situation where HR is a little afraid of that person. Yeah, so here's what, here, here's what I tell um, folks when they bring that circumstance to my attention, which is pretty often. Um, at some point, the company is, this, this is not going to be worth it to the company, okay? Um, if, if he or she is bringing in a lot of money, maybe it's worth it for, for a while to sort of deal with the situation, try to remedy it, etc. But at some point, it's going to be too costly. Maybe somebody sues. Right. Maybe that's what it takes. Um, and then that's when things change. Then suddenly, the person who's bringing in all the money is costing the company a lot of money. That's true. And, and for, you know, for all the people out there who don't like lawsuits or think, you know, lawyers sue too much, you know what? It takes one lawsuit like this that get to get a uh, you know an incorporation back to where it should be yeah, and in my experience it works too it does work yeah. it do, but not to mention money but also the publicity of it and right. other employees now know you know that there's they're susceptible uh, another texter from 847 when i was being interviewed by an illinois appellate court justice to be his law clerk i was six months pregnant he asked me in the interview if i thought having a baby would interfere with my job that was back in 1982 i got the job Anyway, despite my condition, well, congratulations. What about pregnancy? How how does that work in the workplace? Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough interview because uh, you know obviously it was obvious that she it, it was obvious she was pregnant, and so um, if the if the question was phrased differently, can you perform the function functions of the job? That's probably an okay question, but was they were really getting at uh, it crosses the line, I think, into pre- pregnancy discrimination. You cannot suffer any adverse consequences, whether it be in the hiring process, in the employment process, in any sort of leave scenario, you cannot uh, be treated adversely because of that condition. So being asked if you can perform the job uh, with an accommodation, okay, and then you can talk about what the accommodation is. But that certainly crossed the line, that question. Well, and it seems like if you're a law clerk, it's not like you're, you know, you're lifting, you know, railroad ties, right? So, 
you would think that you could perform your job if you're pregnant. Yeah, and and obviously the question's getting at are you going to go on leave? Right. <laughs> right. Are leave? you going to abandon what, me? What am I yeah. going to do when you go on leave? Right. 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 Which that's totally impermissible. It, it, it is. And yeah. even though you think in some ways it might be a fair question for an employer to want to know what's going to happen in three months. Uh, it's, it, not. it's not. It's, it's not. just absolutely not. Um, let's go to Jay. Hi, Jay. Welcome to WGN. You have a question uh, about you made a complaint and used the wrong form. What What is this about? Um, so, yeah, I work, I work in the Chicago land area. I made a complaint to my employer via email, and basically the employer kicked it back and said, well, if you want to move forward, you have to fill out our quote-unquote form. Um, but I, you know, I'm under the impression that a complaint is a complaint, regardless if it's on your form or my email. Yeah, I don't know what the complaint's about, but I totally agree with you. A complaint's a complaint. It doesn't even need to be in writing. I just, for a lot of reasons, it's preferable that it be in writing, but you can verbally complain, and then the company still has the same obligations to respond to your complaint. It doesn't need to be in a form. But would you would you right. say, Patrick, to jump through the hoops and put it in the form? Sure. I mean, if it's... Sure. I'm just saying the employer still has the same obligations, would I suggest that you use the form? Sure, go ahead and use that form, but it doesn't eliminate the employer's obligations with regard to responding to it. Got it. Thank you, Jay. Oh, all right, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. That, you? Okay, we've got uh, Mark. Hi, Mark. Welcome to WGM. We've got time for one quick question here. Hi, Mark. 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 Mark is no longer there. Um, well, can you put him on hold, Andrew, and we'll see if we can get another uh, caller in, anonymous caller. Hi. Welcome to WGM. A question for Patrick Dolan regarding um, employment law. Yes. I, am I on? Yes, you are. Great. I had a quick question. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a longtime employee at a company, and I was recently reviewed. I do great work. I think everyone knows I do great work, and I was reviewed to a really substandard level, one that I disagree with, and and it was explained to me by, by my HR representative recently that hey, you know what, the role is changing. The role that I've been doing for you know thirty years is changing. Is that something I should be concerned about? Doesn't that sound like a trope to you? I'll hang up and listen for my answer. Thank you. Thank you for that call. That And that's a really good question. So it sounds like they're changing and kind of downsizing the job a little bit and something that maybe uh, Mark doesn't really want to do. Yeah, so it's a really good question. And the question is, is it a legitimate change or, or is it a pretext for something like age discrimination? Okay? Yeah, right. Um, and if the role is changing, why are you suddenly not qualified to perform that role? How significantly is it changing, et cetera, et cetera? So, you know, I, they can change your job, but to say you're suddenly not qualified raises a lot of questions about potential discrimination and whether you it's true that you actually can no longer uh, do that new job. Uh, quickly, before we go to break, and I'm going to give out my, the numbers again, 312-981-7200. Um, what about... Uh, Social media. I, I hear a lot of people say, um, you know, I, I, I got fired because I posted some conservative or liberal comment on social media, or I posted myself on a beach with a bikini and a martini in my hand, and my boss didn't like it, and I got fired. What are my rights? Are don't I have First Amendment rights? What's you know? How do you explain that to your clients? Yeah, it's tough because uh, as a private employer, um, you, there's no First Amendment rights. Right. You don't, you don't have any. Um, 
So it really depends. Uh, you know, the company does have some discretion if it thinks that what you posted reflects poorly, but there are a whole bunch of safeguards where it's impermissible in terms of maybe an election-related speech or political activities. Those things can be um, can be protected in Illinois. Um, but generally, you know, generally speaking, uh, if it reflects poorly and it's not specifically covered under certain sections of Illinois law as protected speech, not the First Amendment if you're a private employer, then yeah, it could be a real problem for you, keeping your job. Just really, really tone it down uh, on social media. Mm -hmm. Even getting hired is hard when you, you know, employers like me, Google you. Uh, Well, coming back on WGN, we're going to be taking your legal questions, 312-981-7200. Happy September 4th to everybody. We're here with um, the Siegel and Dolan partner, Patrick Dolan, who is experienced in the area of labor and employment law. He's been at it for many years, and we're taking your legal questions here on that topic and any other legal topic you have, 312-981-7200. And I'm going to give out my contact information in case anybody wants to reach me or in case you didn't catch Patrick's uh, contact information, which I'll give out again. Um, You can always call me at my office, 312. 332-7800. And if I can't answer the question, I usually can find somebody or an agency or somewhere where I can steer you in the right direction. Um, and the other way to do it is the best way, which is by email, and that is WGN at AskKarenConti.com for the spelling of my name. Go to the WGN website and uh, you can see my name and my contact information. Um, we're talking to Patrick uh, Dolan about the issue of, we talked, we touched a little bit, Patrick, on the issue of social media and what an employee can do and say on social media and that, you know, if there's any protections that the law has for you, um, if you say something about your employer that the employer doesn't like. Yeah, so one thing I wanted to point out about that was an employer cannot take any adverse actions against you, certainly including termination, for complaining publicly, including on any social media site, about the working conditions, Um, the, the pay, whether it's unsafe to work there, something like that. Those are clearly protected under the National Labor Relations Act, and it's not just in a union setting, it's private employers as well. So everyone... Uh, no employer can terminate or take action against you if you complain about working conditions. That's a very important distinction. Not the like I work at Starbucks and they make the worst coffee in the world. They, no. that you yeah. can be fired for yes, that for sure. But if you say the floors are slippery and uh, you know and, and there's rats and you know, whatever you know, or that, they don't or they don't pay me overtime, oh, or so they don't pay me, okay. you know, blah blah blah. That those kind of things. If it's something about your working conditions, it's protected speech. And again, you know, that's really good to know, but that doesn't mean people should go out and do that. No, I think it's, I mean, you, <laughs> because, you kind of do it at your own risk. I yes, mean, right. You, you know, you don't listen. I mean, uh, if you're, you, you can do it if you want to, but there's going to be certain ramifications. If you terminate, then you can, you know, pursue a legal claim or you have to send a demand letter and try to negotiate it, some sort of separation package or something. So I would say, sure, you can do it. Just be careful about what you're doing and understand the consequences, you know, to assert those rights, which do exist, um, and what that what that really entails to assert those legal rights. Because, you know, I always say to, say to people, the worst time to have to hire lawyers when you don't have a job, yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you get fired for it, and even if it's wrongful, even if you have the best lawsuit in the whole world, you still are going to have to maybe pay, pay a lawyer, maybe not, maybe they can take it on a contingent basis, meaning uh, they won't get paid unless you get a, you know, 
a recovery of some type. But you just don't want to be in the situation where you have no money and no way to support yourself yeah. and then need to assert your legal claims. Yeah. And, and that's also the I, I think that's where there's a lot of value in a demand letter in trying to negotiate that deal, because litigation is just not where you want to be. No. In, in the end. That may be where you are, but the vast majority of disputes do not end in litigation, even if it's, you know, arbitration or something or a court lawsuit. You want to result, you want to negotiate it if at all possible. So you can get some compensation, you can get, you know, to, to kind of bridge yourself to that next job. That's really what you're looking to do. And then hopefully maybe even beyond that, if you have good legal claims, an employer should pay for those if you're going to release claims and not sue. So... Focus on trying to work it out before jumping to a lawsuit, which is going to be really difficult. Good, good advice. Uh, let's go to Mark. We're going to see if we can talk to Mark this time. Hi, Mark. Hi. Hi. What's your legal Hi. question? My question is, if you're a sales rep and you leave an organization, can you tell them where you're going? Okay. Do you have any kind of restrictive covenant or non-compete clause that you signed at any time of your with your employer? Um. Yes, but if you're laid off, can you still tell them where you're at? Um, So generally speaking, um, a non-solicitation may prohibit you from soliciting clients at your old employer. And I would also add that there may be a provision in uh, an agreement with your now former employer that obligates you to disclose that non-solicit to your next employer. So I'm not sure. Yeah, you know what? It's one of those things, Mark, that I think you need to really look at the language of what you signed. You know, sometimes you forget what you signed if you're there for a while. You might want to make sure you have all the documents that you signed when you uh, signed up or maybe maybe even during the course of your employment you signed something because that's going to drive and dictate, right? It does, what- yeah. yeah the, language it'll, the language will determine, assuming it's enforceable, will determine what he can do next. But he may not be able to work for, solicit, et cetera, those same clients that he had at his last job. Yeah, makes sense. Um, We did get an anonymous caller, and it's a very complicated question, but I'm going to simplify it so it applies to more people than just this caller. Tell tell us how the overtime law works, uh, just generally speaking. It's very complicated. Yeah, so for an hourly employee, they have to be paid time and a half, their hourly wage, um, and... You know, over time, there, there's just, you have to look at the, you know, a daily overtime, a weekly overtime, something like that. That's distinguishable from a salaried employee who, honestly, is probably working in many cases 45, 50, 60 hours a week. And by and large, those are not exempt. So they, I mean, they are exempt from overtime. So they will not be afforded overtime pay. So it determines whether you're hourly then under certain circumstances, you certainly will be um, afforded overtime pay. If you're salaried, you will not be, no matter how many hours you work. If you work on the weekends, if your boss is calling you at night, um, whatever it takes to get the job done, that's what you have to do. Now, if you are working a lot of hours and you don't like it, you can talk to the company and say, this is too much work. I can't do it. I understand being paid a salary to do this job, but it's too just too much. So have that conversation like we talked about earlier. Be flexible. 
approach the employer and say, this is just too much work. I cannot do it. And the, and it's a conversation you can have. And if it doesn't work for you, then while you're employed, start looking for that next job. Absolutely. Always have that resume ready to go. I always say that. Always have that working resume. You know, just take a, take a weekend, uh, you know, a Saturday and spend two or three hours and updating it, you know, and, and it's, it makes you feel powerful to have that ready to go in case yes. you need to have it, have it sent sure. out immediately. So let's talk a little bit about working remotely because this is a kind of a new thing and um, there's some legal issues that arise and I think we should kind of dovetail with what you just said. What if you are being called upon in, at, on Sunday to answer a question? Your boss says, I just, I just had this question. It's two in the morning. Your boss has insomnia. And now you're like, oh, I just woke up and I just saw he sent me a text or an email. Do I have to get back to him? What if I don't? Can he use that against me? What is the law about this? Yeah, so uh, if it's required to do your job and you're a salaried employee, listen, you're, that's just the way it is. And you may have to answer that question on a Sunday morning. Um, can you be disciplined for not, you know, yes, but you know what I mean? If someone says, geez, this is part of your job, you got to do this job, uh, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays, etc. Frankly, maybe it's something you don't want to do. But again, it's something that you may have to talk to your boss about what are the expectations? I don't really want it wasn't planning on working all the weekends or in the evenings, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. That's not really how I saw this job or, you know, so that's a conversation that you should have, but it may result in your termination. Maybe there's somebody else who is willing to do that. And unless you're treated differently based on a protected category, you could have a problem showing that that termination is actually illegal. I mean, it sounds unfair, but if it's not, like you said, discriminatory in, in the way you're talking about, you know, the boss can, can you know, a bad boss. That, that sounds like a bad boss. You know, and I, I just talking about from my own experience, you know, as a lawyer, we get called on, Patrick, as you know, uh, all times of the day and night mm-hmm. to handle things. And sometimes there is an emergent nature to things. I do some family law. So sometimes I get the calls in the middle of the night regarding, you know, domestic violence and all kinds of really serious issues. And I will call upon my employees to maybe help me out. I try not to because I feel like, you know, they have to, I have to respect their privacy and their time off because they work hard for me and for my clients. So, but, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good conversation to have. Like, Listen, I expect you to be at your desk at home since I'm giving you two or three days remote, which they love, right? I expect like, you know, 8.30 to 4.30, let's all just be at our desks, right? And if I need you later for some reason, because I know I have a meeting at 8 o'clock that I'm going to need you on, can you, you know, take half a day and then can we do it at 8 and make sure everyone's on board with it? Yeah, and I think one of the ironies of working at home is that people are working more hours. They're working longer hours. And I don't think... I think companies sort of pre-COVID and maybe even at the beginning of COVID when people were working at home were really paranoid about what was actually getting done. I think it's completely swung the other way. I think people are working more, maybe because they're afraid of you know losing their job. Maybe the employer is putting more burdens on them to make sure they're doing their job. I'm not sure, but in my experience, folks who are working at home are actually tending to work more than if they came in the office. Very, very interesting. We have one more segment. If you have any legal questions about anything, in particular labor and employment, we're here with Patrick Dolan from Siegel and Dolan, 312-981-7200. 
We're here with Patrick Dolan talking about employment law, 312-981-7200. Okay, so the car wash. Let's talk about the car wash. You're working at the car wash, right? And you've been working there for 25 years, and you are now 61 years old, right? And so now you feel your client comes, the client comes to you, Patrick, and says, listen, I just feel like I'm being discriminated against because of my age. I can't really put my finger on it, but... What what can I do? I mean, what can I do to, to, to salvage this job? And But what could I do if I have to bring a lawsuit? How do I prove that I'm being discriminated against based upon my age? Yeah, so here's the unfortunate thing about that. You probably are. Okay, so age discrimination, I think, is the most prevalent kind of discrimination. It's also, I think, the most difficult to prove, unfortunately. So if you're over 40 and you think folks under 40 are being treated better than you in the terms and conditions of your job, you have the makings or the basis for an age claim. What do you need to show it? Um, If you're, let's just say this person who's 62 is like the only person over 40 who's working, right? And they're able to do the job just as well as folks under 40, right? So, but they're treated differently, Maybe they're given less hours. Maybe their pay becomes a little bit less. Maybe they're being, quote, asked to do a little bit more to see if they can do it. If they're being treated differently, you're going to know about it. You're like, hey, wait a minute. That guy who's under 40 is actually 18 or 19 or 20. He's not being asked to do all this stuff. That's evidence of age discrimination. Maybe there are comments being made about you. Geez, Pops, it takes you a long time to watch that that car. What's the problem? Right. You You see a lot of that. And some people just try to, you know, they want to shrug it off. But that's proof that someone's, yeah. So you have to kind of put all these things together to create evidence of age discrimination. So, but for their age, in other words... If that person was under 40, we wouldn't have treated him that way. But since he's older, we're like, you know, can you do this? It looks like you can't. You take a lot of breaks, you know, that kind of stuff. No, I can still do my job just as well as anybody else can. Um, so it's the hardest to to prove because the bar is kind of is pretty high, mm-hmm. but it happens a lot. You know what I get a lot, Patrick? Uh, I say a lot, but I mean, I've had several people in the last six months call me and say, listen, I'm, I am over 40. I'm just not as quick on the computer as some of these young kids who come in and they automatically know how to do all these programs. And I know how to do my job, but I'm just not as fast as learning these different things, which, you know, maybe is a fair assessment. But when does that become age discrimination it it depends on whether you can actually perform the terms of your uh, the the, uh, duties of your job okay so if what you're doing doesn't require you to learn all these new skill sets you know etc then it's not proper that you be disciplined for not learning them okay if you can still now if your job changes you're going to have to grow with it. You're either going to have to learn to do those new skills, or if it's a legitimate change in your job duties, maybe you can't do it and maybe you're terminated. But then we get to the accommodation discussion. Anytime you have a potential discrimination issue, there should be a, a, a discussion with your employer about what they can do to maybe accommodate you know, your needs, uh, whatever those may be. And how do you protect yourself? So just, you know, give me the bullet points again of you think this is happening, you know, and when you get to be a certain age, it's, it is hard to get reemployed, you know, and so getting back into the workplace, if you've had a job for a while and you're, say, in your 60s, you know, you want to protect that job as long as you can. What should you be doing? Yeah, you know what? 
as these things happen, write them down because they're going to happen probably over time. And I, if they came to me, I would need like a laundry list of facts that support discrimination because it's not very often that you get one comment that's sufficient to, ra- to be raised to illegal discrimination, right? So I write it down. When it happens, write it down. And, you know, talk to other people. Say, hey, do you have to do this? And if they're like a buddy at work or whatever, they'll probably say, no, I don't have to do that. So you can do a little fishing and you can gain av- evidence that way. So when I, when I, you know, when we talk and I say, okay, you can tell me all these things that happened and I know so-and-so doesn't have to do this or I know they're being paid more and their hours are a lot better. You can have all of that ready to go. Then I can, back to what we talked about earlier, send a demand letter saying, hey, my client, is the victim of age discrimination for all these different reasons that he or she has provided me. They have a claim. Let's see if we can work it out. Um, maybe they stay, maybe they don't. But if they don't, you've got to be paid uh, to your next job and beyond under a lot of circumstances. Okay, so let's just take our car wash and the car wash uh, attendant is fired and and the boss comes to the 61-year-old and says, hey, listen, you know what? I'm going to give you three weeks severance, even though I'm, I don't have to do it. But in exchange, I want you to sign the following document. It's a release. It releases all claims for American with Disabilities Act and all of the possible uh, lawsuits that you could possibly bring, including an age discrimination lawsuit. Should that person sign that agreement? Yeah, I think you have to talk to somebody because three weeks could be way too low. Okay. If you have a good claim of discrimination for whatever reason, and it could be or a violation of, frankly, any employment law. That could be completely insufficient to waive that claim. So that's where, you know, I think talking to a lawyer could be really helpful. Maybe three weeks is, is enough. Maybe it's not. But it, frankly, doesn't seem like very much. If you, if you were the victim of discrimination, absolutely not. And, you know, yeah, again, like, you know, there's always a little this for that. I mean, in in exchange for giving that up, you're getting something you wouldn't be entitled to. And I always tell people, you know, is this going to bridge your gap to the next job? Because if it does and it can, maybe that's your best bet. As you said, and I say all the time, even though we're litigators and we litigate for a living, it's not the way you want to live your life. Because when you have a lawsuit that pens for, say, two or three years, which can happen, you're still living in that past. You're living in that bad job. And it's hard for people, I think, to move on mentally and emotionally when they are clinging to that bad situation. Yeah, I see it all the time, yeah. and it's pretty much impossible to move on. So oftentimes, it is best to just maybe try to get a little bit more. If benefits are important, which they often are, especially to older folks, then make sure that's in there, too. Um, maybe that's just your best course. Patrick Dolan, thank you so much. Time just got slipped away here. Give us your phone number quickly. 312-651-4851. Thank you, Karen. Happy Labor Day to everyone. Stay tuned for Rick Hogan on WGN.